You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. Well, a week from today uh, is the beginning of Holy Week, which is the week leading up to Easter. And one of the things that we often consider during Holy Week is uh, the trial of Jesus or the trials of Jesus. Uh, Jesus was put on trial and called to testify uh, about himself. And Mark 14 uh, gives one account of, of this scene. It's a dramatic scene. Uh, I wanted you to hear it. Listen to Mark 14. Uh, the high priest asked Jesus, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one, the son of God? Jesus said, I am. And you'll see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. And when Jesus said this, uh, the high priest tore his clothes. I don't know if you've ever been so angry at something that someone said that you ripped your clothes. I don't think I could even do it. But he ripped his clothes and he said, why do we need any more witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What's your decision? He asked the court. And the court all condemned Jesus as worthy of death. And so Jesus was put on trial for who he said he was. Then he testified as to who he was. And then he was condemned for his testimony. Now, when the Apostle John wrote 1 John, our, our letter we've been looking at, uh, almost 60 years later, uh, you could argue uh, that faith uh, in, in Jesus was still on trial. Uh, John's uh, writing uh, to Christians in a pluralistic culture with uh, many worldviews, many different spiritualities, many gods that people worshipped. Uh, there were even many different views of Jesus that were popping up uh, because false teachers had left the church and were teaching new things about Jesus. And so the question was, who is Jesus really? And what, what are people supposed to believe about him? Uh, which sounds a lot like our culture. Belief in Jesus is still on trial uh, even in our day. Because you look around and the, the question uh, is still there. Who is Jesus and why should I believe in him anyway uh, after all these centuries? When there's, why should I push in all my chips with Jesus and stake my life on him when, when there's all these worldviews or beliefs or philosophies uh, that I could stake my life on? John is actually calling us in this letter to believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, you see it there in verse 6. Look at, look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 6. It says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Whenever you see Jesus and Christ put together, it means something very specific. It's not his first name and his last name put together. It's not first name Jesus, last name Christ. Uh, it, it's his human name, Jesus, put together with his divine title, the Christ, put together in one person. John is calling us to believe that Jesus, the man Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ of God. What, what did they ask Jesus in his trial? They asked him, are you the Christ? Are you the son of God? And he said, I am. And it's still the same question today. Is he? Is he the Christ? Is he the son of God? And does it matter if I believe that. And so John sets up a little trial of his own today 
little courtroom scene. And listen, I love a good courtroom scene. I have watched many good courtroom scenes in the movies over the years to the point where I almost have a law degree. I'm basically a lawyer. I know how it works uh, because I've studied these scenes. Uh, I, I think about To Kill a Mockingbird, one of my favorite books uh, that was made into a movie. And I think about Atticus Finch hammering home his closing arguments in defense of Tom Robinson, who was an innocent man. Uh, I think about that famous scene in, in, in A Few Good Men where Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson are just going after each other. And it's like, you want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. I had that scene memorized back in the day. I could do, I, I love that scene. But that is what is, that, that's what's amazing about courtroom scenes. That's the drama of a courtroom scene is that we want the truth, right? We, we want the truth to come out so that it's obvious to everyone. And that's kind of what John is doing here for us today. He wants us to know the truth about Jesus and for it to come out. And so today, John calls, um, his key witness uh, to give testimony. He's actually waited to the very end of this letter to bring out his slam dunk witness uh, because his key witness is God himself. What does God say about Jesus? What's God's testimony uh, about Jesus? And so let's look at our text in two sections today. Uh, First, let's look at the testimony in verses six through nine, and then we're gonna look at the verdict in verses 10 through 12. The testimony and then the verdict. Let's start by looking at the testimony. Uh, John is going to use, um, you could call it symbolic language in, in verses 6 through 8. Uh, he's going to use this little phrase that's, that, that was, I think, very familiar to his original readers. It's not so familiar to us. It's this little phrase, the water and the blood. Uh, they knew exactly what John was talking about. Uh, It it was probably a common phrase, the water and and the blood. It it would be like if I said to you, the stars and the stripes. You know exactly what that means. If I said the stars and the stripes say something uh, about the unity and the liberty of America, you totally get what I'm saying there. You you know that stars don't literally speak. You know that stripes don't literally speak. Uh, They're just symbols that we all understand. Uh, And they say something about the unity and and the liberty of our country. Uh, We have 50 United States stars. We have 13 original colonies, stripes, uh, that declared independence uh, from Great Britain. And so John, in the same way, is going to talk about water and blood, and and his readers totally get what he's saying, right? Water and blood are familiar symbols to them, and they say something about Jesus, right? They, They don't literally speak, but they testify about Jesus, and their testimony agrees with the testimony of the Holy Spirit. So look at verse six. Let's read the first few verses here in our text, verses six through eight. First John chapter five, verse six. This is he who came by water and blood. And that, and that word by in, in this first instance is actually the word through. So you could say, this is he who came through water and through blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree. So three uh, witnesses are are called to the stand to testify about Jesus Christ. And, And together, these three witnesses will form 
God's testimony, the testimony of God about Jesus. We'll see that in, in, in a little bit in verse 9. Uh, but first, water is called to the stand. Water is the first witness. Uh, and, and John's readers all understood the significance of water in, in redemptive history. It was a very important symbol that they all understood. Just to give you a few examples. Uh, in Genesis chapter 6, God brought judgment on the world uh, in the form of water and, and a flood. But God also, in his grace at that time, uh, saved Noah and his family through the flood uh, in an ark. And so we could say that God uh, delivered his people from judgment through the water. Uh, Then uh, centuries later, uh, God's people were in slavery uh, in Egypt. And under the leadership of Moses, God led his people out of slavery with a mighty hand. And as they were fleeing uh, from slavery, they... uh, they came to the Red Sea, which was a barrier to their salvation. And so God, in his grace, divided the waters of the Red Sea, and they passed through the sea on dry ground. And so we could say that God redeemed his people out of slavery through water, through the water. Years later, after that, God was going to take his people into the promised land, the land of Canaan, under the leadership of Joshua. And they came to the Jordan River, uh, and the river was a barrier to them going into the the promised land. Uh, And so God stopped the river from flowing, and and, and the river uh, piled up in a heap on one side, and the people crossed over into the land of Canaan through the water. And so we could say that God led his people to new life in a new land through the water. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, many centuries later, uh, it's not surprising that he would begin his public ministry uh, uh, with water, right? His ministry would involve water right at the outset. Uh, All four gospel accounts um, uh, mark the beginning of Jesus's ministry uh, with his baptism, right? Uh, Jesus came through the waters. Why? Well, because he's the greater Noah, come to deliver his people from judgment. He's the the greater Moses, come to redeem his people out of slavery. He's the greater Joshua, come to lead his people uh, into new life. When Jesus was baptized in water, Mark tells us that the heavens were torn open. They were ripped open, and the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove. And then there was a voice from heaven. It was the voice of God. At that moment, God said something, and God said this, You are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. You are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. And everyone heard what God said about Jesus. And so when we say that Jesus came through the water, uh, we mean that something happened in history that testifies to the uniqueness of Jesus. Jesus was baptized in water and God said, that's my son. That's my son. And so the water testifies that Jesus is the son of God. Now, what about the blood? The second witness is called to the the stand. And and the blood, again, John's readers uh, were very familiar with uh, the significance of blood in redemptive history. It was a very important and is a very important symbol in redemptive history. Uh, Just, again, a couple of examples. Uh, When God was going to lead his people uh, out of slavery uh, in, in Egypt, he gave his people very specific instructions for their final night in Egypt. And I wanted you to hear a few of uh, the instructions that God gave them. 
uh, you can just listen. Don't turn there. Uh, Exodus chapter 12. Just wanted you to hear what God told his people. Exodus 12. God said, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And then uh, you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So every household will kill a lamb. Then they shall take some of the blood and, and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel uh, uh, of the houses in which they eat of it. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. But the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So the blood uh, uh, of the lamb is what would save them. The blood would save them. John's readers were very familiar with that story. They knew that story really well. They knew the significance of blood. Or they might think of the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was, was the one day every year when the high priest could enter the most holy place in, in the temple. And he would go there to approach God and to atone for the sins of the people. And what he would do is he would kill a goat and he would sprinkle some of the blood of the goat on the mercy seat, which was the covering uh, of the Ark of the Covenant. And, and atonement for sin would come through the blood. That's how atonement was secured, through the blood. Now, on the cross, we know that the blood of Jesus was shed. But did you know that when he died, uh, Matthew, in his account, uh, tells us that the, the, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. It was ripped in two from top to bottom. Why did that happen? I think it's because God was saying something in that moment. God was saying that the blood of Jesus was sufficient to make a way into the most holy place, into the very presence of God, to approach God. Right? So when we say that Jesus came by blood, we mean something happened in history that testifies to the uniqueness of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross to atone for the sins of the whole world. He's the greater Passover lamb. Right? He is the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. His blood testifies that he's the Christ. Now, finally, John tells us uh, that the Spirit testifies about Jesus. So the Spirit is the third witness that comes to the, to the stand. Uh, and the Spirit testifies in a way different, uh, that's different than the way that the blood uh, and the water testified. Uh, the water and the blood give external, visible testimony uh, about two historical moments, the baptism of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus. Those are, th those are things that happened in history, things that you could see, things that witnesses recorded, and, and they tell us something objectively about Jesus. The Spirit's a little different. The Spirit testifies to us internally, right? So, so, we, can, so we can know Jesus subjectively, so we can know him personally. The Spirit testifies internally to us about the truth about Jesus, uh, Jesus actually said this would be the case with the Spirit. Uh, Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 15 and John chapter 16, he said, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will bear witness about me. Isn't that amazing that Jesus predicted that, that, that the Spirit would come and bear witness about me? He will glorify me, Jesus said, for he will take what's mine and declare it to you. So the Spirit doesn't draw attention to himself. 
He points to Jesus. He says, look at him. Look at Jesus, the one who came by water and blood. Believe in him. That's what the Spirit does. John Calvin uh, says that the Spirit seals on our hearts the testimony of the water and the blood. The, The Spirit seals on our hearts the testimony of the water and the blood. He makes it real to us. So the Spirit takes these two objective um, grounds for our faith, uh, and, and he applies them subjectively to our heart. Right. So, so there are three witnesses: uh, the water, uh, the blood, and, and the spirit. And verse eight tells us that they all agree. They all agree. Why is that so important? Why does it matter? It matters because the Bible, uh, Old Testament and New Testament, always consistently says that important judgments should always be made on the testimony of two or three. Witnesses, uh, you can uh, you can check out Deuteronomy chapter seventeen, Deuteronomy chapter nineteen, Matthew chapter eighteen, First Timothy chapter five. Those are just a few examples of where we see this in the scriptures. When Jesus was on trial, uh, false witnesses came to testify uh, against Jesus. Uh, but Mark tells us in, in his gospel in Mark chapter fourteen that there, the the testimony of those false witnesses did not agree. They couldn't get their story straight. They, they didn't agree with one another. But here we have three witnesses, all in agreement, all confirming the same thing. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. And together, those three make up the testimony of God, God's testimony about Jesus. Uh, look at verse 9. This is where we see that. Verse 9. If we receive the testimony of men... The testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, what we've been talking about, that he is born concerning his son. You see what John is is saying there. Think about what he's saying. Uh, He's saying we accept human testimony all the time without even questioning it. in, In all sort of instances, we accept human testimony. Like, How do we know that Julius Caesar was assassinated? We believe the testimony of credible witnesses. How do we know what happened at Gettysburg, the Battle of Gettysburg? We received the testimony of credible witnesses, and it was verified amongst the witnesses. How do we know what's happening with the coronavirus situation right now in in Italy or, or in China or even just in Dallas or in Austin? How do we know? We believe the testimony. Of, of credible witnesses. And John is saying that we should we accept human testimony all the time without questioning it. Uh, how much more would we receive and believe and accept the testimony of God? Because it's greater. Why? Because he's God. He's God, and he always tells the truth. He's telling the truth about Jesus in three different ways here, through the water, through the blood, through the Spirit, and they all reach the same conclusion. Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the Son of God. Right, that's the testimony. Now, let's. Uh, what do we do with that testimony? Uh, what's our response to it? What's the verdict? Um, and, and that's where John takes us next in verses ten through twelve. Uh, let's look at the verdict. Look at verse ten. Verse ten. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And so 
When it comes to testimony, with any testimony, you can do one of two things. You can either believe the testimony or you can not believe it. That's how testimony works. You, you believe it or, or you not believe it. Uh, John says that if you believe Jesus is the Son of God, then you've believed God's testimony about Jesus and you've made it your own. Your own. In other words, you've internalized what God has said about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and it's in you now. It's forming you. The testimony is in you, shaping you as a person. But if you don't believe God's testimony about Jesus, uh, then John says you're basically calling God a liar. He's not being harsh here to say that. he's, He's actually just stating how testimony works because testimony is either true or false. So God is either telling the truth or he's being false here. If God comes to the witness stand and says, I swear to tell the truth, and here it is, Jesus was baptized, and I told everybody, this is my beloved son. Jesus was crucified to atone for the sins of the whole world, uh, and, and my spirit continues to testify about Jesus. If, if that's God's testimony, and you say to God, listen, God, that's fine for you to believe that about Jesus. I just believe something else about Jesus. If you say that, that's not neutral, right? Because you're essentially telling God, I don't believe your testimony, I believe something else. You're wrong about Jesus in some way. Uh, This is actually what the false teachers in John's day were doing. One of the false teachers that was going around, that was circulating about Jesus during John's day, and he addresses it here in in this text today, uh, is that Jesus uh, of Nazareth was a mere man up until the point of his baptism. And at his baptism, the Christ descended upon Jesus at baptism. Uh, And that's what enabled him uh, for the next few years to do lots of miracles and do all this great teaching. Uh, But then right before his crucifixion, the Christ departed from Jesus so that only Jesus the man died on the cross. The Christ did not die on the cross. And so they, they were separating Jesus and the Christ into two separate persons. But John is saying, no, that's not it. That's not how Jesus works. John is saying Jesus wasn't only the Christ at his baptism. He was was also the Christ at his crucifixion. See, he he didn't just come through water. He came through water and blood. If we don't have the blood, if we don't have the Christ dying on the cross, then we don't have salvation. Uh, And so if you only see Jesus as a good moral teacher, if you only see him as someone who did lots of good miracles and who taught us how to love one another, uh, but you don't see him as the eternal Lamb of God who atones for the sin uh, of the world, then you're missing something very important about Jesus, right? You, you, you haven't believed the testimony of God about Jesus. Uh, you've said that God has given false testimony about him. Now, here's why that matters. Here, here's why it matters. Belief in Jesus matters. And so here's the verdict that John hands down. Uh, Look at verse 11 and 12. This is the verdict. Verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So what's the verdict? The verdict is you can't have life without having the son. And you can't have the son without having life. Let me say that again. You can't have life without having the son, but you can't have the son without 
also having life because the Son and life go together. Why? Because the Son is the life. John has been saying that in this letter. He says it right at the beginning in chapter 1, the very first few verses we looked at in 1 John, that the Son of God is the life. And so that's the verdict. Life and the Son go together. Now, let me end with a few takeaways uh, from these two verses, these last two verses. Uh, here's the first takeaway. Verse 11 says that God gave us eternal life. Not that not God will give us eternal life. God gave us eternal life. In other words, he's already done it. And so the life that he's given us is a present reality for us to enjoy right now. It's not something, it's not something just for way out in the future. Our friend Bob Thune says that oftentimes we treat eternal life like life insurance. We know it's good to have, but it's just not very exciting to us. Right? No one's ever like, sweet, I got some life insurance. Uh, that's not how we feel about life insurance because life insurance only benefits us if we die. Right? And it doesn't affect our everyday life, and so we don't think about it. I mean, I have, I have several life insurance policies, and the only time I ever think about them during the year is when I pay the premium. That's the only time I ever think about them. Uh, but it doesn't affect my everyday life. I don't give it any thought at, at all. Uh, That is not how we should treat the gift of eternal life that God has given us. Why? Because God has not given us a policy to secure our future in Jesus. He's given us a person to be with us now, to enjoy now and in the future. And so eternal life, this kind of life that he's talking about, is something that we can enjoy now. It's the life of God. It's spiritual life. It's in us because the Spirit of God is in us. It's a present reality for us to enjoy. Here's the second thing. Uh, life is found in Jesus and, and, and nothing else. Life, This kind of life that John is talking about here is only found in Jesus. It's not found anywhere else. Uh, look at the end of verse 11. He says, This life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. What a promise that is. Whoever has the Son has life. We're all looking for life. We want life. Everyone wants life. We just have to look for life in the right place. The, uh, I think the last few weeks um, have been really clarifying, haven't they? Uh, because uh, a lot of the false substitutes for life are, are, are getting stripped away, right? Are getting burned off uh, in, in our life with, with the, the whole coronavirus uh, situation. Uh, if we're looking for life in our wealth or our savings or our stock portfolio, that's pretty shaky, isn't it? it it's, it's, I, I can't even bear to look at my retirement savings right now. Uh, it, it's, it's shaky ground if I'm looking for life in those things. Uh, if we're looking for life in our physical health, uh, then I think the last uh, couple of weeks have shown that that's a pretty tentative place to look for, for life. Uh, there's a gym down the street from our um, office that has a sign with a logo on it. And the logo reads, it's not fitness, it's life, right? It's not fitness, it's life. Problem is, when I walked by the gym the other day, it's closed right now. So I guess no life for you (laughs) right now uh, because there's no fitness happening. Uh, So health is not the place where we find life. If we're looking for life in our plans, uh, then we're all finding right now how vulnerable that is, how unreliable 
that is. I don't think there's a single one of us that's not disappointment or maybe even devastated right now because some of our plans have been disrupted or uh, canceled or shattered in some way. Plans for the summer, plans for trips, plans for work, uh, plans for graduation, uh, plans for um, weddings, you name it. Plans are getting dashed. None of these things are bad things. They're all good gifts from God. Wealth, uh, health, uh, plans, uh, and the ability to do things. But none of these things are, are life. Only Jesus is life. And if you have Jesus, you have life, right? If you have Jesus, you have life. And listen, nothing can take Jesus away from you, right? Not even the coronavirus. Nothing can take Jesus away from you, so nothing can take life from you. That's security. It's, it's, it's wonderful security that God gives us in this text. Here's the last thing I want us to see. Um, if God gave us life and life is in his son, then that necessarily means that God gave us his son. It, it has to follow, doesn't it? If God gave us life uh, and life is in his son, that necessarily means that God gave us his son. See, God's testimony uh, about Jesus is not some made-up story to inspire us about what sacrificial love might look like. It's an actual story uh, about sacrificial love because it cost God greatly to give us life. John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It cost him so that we could have eternal life. Life. And so, in a world that's filled with death, this text is telling us that God has done everything necessary to give us life. Death, death is front and center these days. It's dominating the headlines. There's like a death tally on the news at the end of every day. But God says to us, God's testimony is that is that life is is our is what we're made for. Right? Life, life is our defining reality. Life is our destiny, not death. Uh, and life is found in Jesus Christ. We have God's word on it, right? We have his testimony on that. And his testimony is unchanging. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.